0: First Christian Church of Chiefland brings you the good news. And now, I'm Today I want to preach a sermon I've entitled Two Sides of a Leaven Lump. I would like to start by reading in Matthew chapter 13. One little verse in Matthew 13 this morning. Verse 33 says, Another parable Jesus spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And then in Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, I'd like to read two verses, verses 20 and 21, where it said, Then Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is, oops, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong verse. And again, God, Jesus said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven." Let's pray. Holy God and Father above, we truly are grateful once again for the opportunity this morning to be together, to share together, and to learn. And We've enjoyed the, the blessings of the Lord's Supper and, and prayer and We've enjoyed the time of proclaiming you in song, giving our tithes and offerings. And now we have the opportunity to study your word. And as we learn more about the parables of Jesus, I pray, Lord, you'll help us to understand this small parable about the leaven, the woman, and the meal that was used. And Lord, you'll help us to understand the differences in the leaven lump, the two sides this morning. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the parable of the sower and the seed and the four soils, Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven is likened to the sower who sowed seed which fell on four soils. Remember that? The hard soil, the shallow soil, the rocky soil, and the good soil. And in the end, the seed, the word of God, only grew on 25% and 75% died. The kingdom of heaven is likened to the field where a good seed of wheat was sown. But an enemy sowed tares or weeds which looked just like the wheat and both grew together. And in the end the tares were gathered and cast into the fire and burned and the wheat was led uh, into the barns. And the kingdom of heaven is likened to the mustard seed for its size, power, and that fact that there must be death to produce life. In each of these parables, we see the good and the bad. We see blessing and cursing. We see life and death. Now, let me ask you, if I pull this out of my pocket, find it in there. Maybe not everybody can tell what that is, but tell them what that is. It's a quarter. Very good. I have a quarter. Whose picture's on the quarter? Boy, I'm asking a lot of hard questions for We we spend them all the time We don't know whose picture's on there. Anyone? George Washington. Our banker, I would hope she would know that. George Washington's on his head's on the front of the quarter. And I'd ask you what's on the back side, but nowadays it could be a whole lot of things. I collect quarters at home just out of fun or a little hobby. I collected all the ones just about that have the uh, the states on them. I think I have all those. I have most of the national parks that are, and now they're putting different famous people in our American history on the back. This one just happens to have, uh, let's see if I can. Trust me, it's on there. I can't pronounce the name. I can't even see the name. <laughs> oh Maybe if I turn it right side up, I could read it. It's a Hawaiian name, so forgive me, I can't make it out with these lights on. But anyway, what's interesting about this quarter, since I'm rumbling all over this? Yeah, we spend it, don't we? 25 cents. But what else might we use this for? It has two sides to it. A football game don't start without some guy flipping a coin. Doesn't it? It's true. Two sides to a coin heads and tails. Well, the parables we've been talking about in the past, two sides. Here in this fourth parable of Matthew 13, Jesus again gives us some valuable insight to the kingdom of heaven. And many commentators of this passage see it as one way, as a good thing, and only a good thing. However, some see it differently. That of the negative side of this parable. That being said, I want to discuss both sides to this parable. Because as I study this parable, I can surely see two sides, which both fit very well to what Jesus was saying about the kingdom of heaven, the church. The one side is commonly used, and the one side is not as common. So here this morning are the two sides of the parable of the leaven and the first one is this. The leaven lump. The good side of the leaven lump. For leaven has a good lump. Now, how many have ever made homemade bread? Quite a few of you have made homemade bread. What do you put in the dough to make it rise? Yeast. yeast. And what is the Bible word for yeast? Leaven. It's just another word for yeast. It's used to produce fermentation, and it causes the dough to rise. Now, in Palestine, bread was baked at home. Three measures of meal was just the average amount, which would be needed for a baking for a fairly large family, like the family in Nazareth. And Jesus took his parable of the kingdom from something that he had often seen his mother, Mary, do. Leaven was a little lump of dough, kept over from a previous baking, which had fermented in the keeping, and then added to the next times three measures. So you would take the measures, three measures, and you'd put in the water, and you'd put in the yeast, and you'd do all the kneading and everything, and then you'd have to let it sit for a time, so it rises. And then when it was time to start rolling it into loaves, or whatever they did, they would take a small part of that, they would put it under cover in a bowl or something somewhere, that would be used for the next day, to start all over again. Now I don't know if you ladies ever did a friendship cake where you take and you made. Somebody would make it then they take a little piece and they would send it to their friend here and there and then you were supposed to take it and do the same thing. Then you would take a small piece and send it to some of your friends and that was the friendship cake and it would just keep on going. Gosh, I'm old. You remember that? So you're older than me. <laughs> yeah, but I can see the backside of a coin. That's very good. That's quite true. I need to get new glasses. You don't need to have to wear glasses. You're, you're blessed. Very good. Anyway, Leonie would say, You walked right into that one. Oh, okay. I did. Now, here's the common interpretation of this parable The leaven is the gospel, the woman is the church, and the meal or the dough is the world. Logic says that when the leaven represents the expanding power of the gospel in the world until the whole planet is eventually influenced. Just as the leaven overtakes the meal, so the gospel will overtake the world. So if we go by this uh, premise on the leaven as a good lump, then let's take a look at why this might be so from the gospel standpoint. Here leaven would be seen for its transforming power. Leaven changed the character of the whole baking. Unleavened bread is like a water biscuit or a wafer. Hard, dry, unappetizing, and uninteresting. Bread baked with leaven is soft and porous and spongy and tasty and good to eat. The introduction of leaven causes a transformation in the dough. And the coming of the kingdom causes a transformation in the person's life. So what was transformed in life because of the coming of the kingdom of heaven? The church. Let's look at it five different ways. First, Christianity transformed life for the individual life. The individual life. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, Paul gathers together a list of terrible sinners. Here's what Paul said. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 11, And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God of our God. You see, the transformation of Christianity begins in the individual life. For through Christ, the victim of temptation can become the victor over it. The gospel has affected your life personally, you individually. And God has made you a part of His church. Not only how else did Christianity transfer life, Christianity transferred the life for the women. For the women. You see, in the, the Jew in the morning prayer would thank God that he had not been made, that God had not made him a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. It's true. In Greek civilization, the woman lived a life of utter seclusion, with nothing to do beyond the household tasks. Her duties were that of one who cooked, cleaned, and stayed out of sight. And when Christianity came into the picture, a woman was shown as an equal part of man's life, his helpmate, one whom the husband was to love as himself and having part in the kingdom of heaven. And all I can say of that is praise God. That's how God set it up originally with Adam and Eve. What did he say Eve would be to Adam? A helpmate. And man tried to destroy that throughout the centuries. Christianity changed all that. Woman has now become equal to men when it comes to salvation and so on and so forth. Now, there's still difference. That's a time serving for a different time. God has certain things that women can do and can't do in the church. But when it comes to salvation, they're equal. Number three, Christianity transformed life for the weak and ill. In heathen life, the weak and the ill were considered a nuisance. In Sparta, a child, when he was born, was submitted to the examiners. If he was fit, he was allowed to live. If he was weakly or deformed, he was exposed to death on the mountainside. Christianity was the first faith to be interested in the broken things of life. Christ taught and the church continued on how to look after the sick and deformed the outcasts of life, the orphan and the widow, etc. They were told, the Christians were told, and the church followed, that you looked after these people, you took care of them. They were not cast-offs as a nuisance. Number four, Christianity transformed life for the aged. Oh, well, we'll get to that one. And I went too far. Back I go. There we go. The aged. You see, like the weak, the aged were a nuisance. Aged mean the old people. You see, the Roman writer Cato, writing on agriculture of all things, gives advice to anyone who is taking over a farm. This is what he said. Look over the livestock and the hold and hold a sale. Sell your oil if the price is satisfactory, and sell the surplus of your wine and grain sell worn-out oxen, blemish cattle, blemish sheep, wool, hides, an old wagon, old tools, an old slave, a sickly slave, and whatever else is superfluous. The old whose day's work was done were fit for nothing else than to be discarded on the rubbish heaps of life. Christianity was the first faith to regard men and women as persons and not instruments capable of doing a certain amount of work. And if I were anybody hearing this video or this audio tape, I'd have to say this, because you never know who's going to listen to something. Our country is losing that part of what we should be doing, and that's looking after our elderly people. Now I know I'm speaking to most of you who are near retirement or have already retired. But the point is still that. When we stop taking care of our elderly people, what kind of nation are we becoming? It's something to think about. Christianity has never been that way. And then all of had Christianity transformed life for the child. You see, in the immediate background of Christianity, the marriage relationship had, relationship had broken down. The home was in peril. Divorce was so common that it was neither unusual nor particularly blameworthy for a woman to have a new husband every year. In such circumstances, children were a disaster. And the custom of simply exposing children to death was tragically common. Christianity has taught us how to take care and raise our children, and how to be proper parents. That was not taught in those cultures. Now, just as a little levity in this sermon, I j- uh, Leonie and I have been married 45 years. And I've joked with her in time past. I said, honey, you don't have to worry about me ever remarrying when you leave. I said, because I don't want to take time to break in another life. Now, I say that for this. Can you imagine breaking in a new wife every year, like you change a car? But that was prevalent in that society in that time. They might have a new wife every year. That's insane. Now, it sounds wonderful, the Christianity transforming life part, and this is most popular teaching of this parable. And about this is the point where I would stop and Have an invitation. And obviously, if this were the meaning of this parable, it sounds like a great thing how the gospel will transform the world completely as the leaven, leavened all three pecks of meal. But is this parable all about the good and nothing about the bad? Yes, so it seems a bit out of context to the first three parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. And this is the common interpretation, but there are several problems With this being the only interpretation. And it's this. What about leaven as a bad lump? Now I'll tell you. As I read this 13th chapter. And I've already done sermons on these other parables. They all have a good side and a bad side. It just seems rather strange in the context that we're following here. As Jesus gives that this is a parable all about the good stuff. Because I don't think it is. There's some bad stuff. this parable. And that's what I want to share with you now. Now understand, the Bible does not teach that the whole world will be influenced by the gospel. Yes, we are to take the gospel everywhere to every tribe and nation, and we're trying, but failing. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, it says that in the last days, perilous times shall come. That doesn't sound like a spiritual awakening, does it? The Bible says there, just before Christ returns, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. That they were eating, and drinking, and being married. Now I can tell you from yesterday, at the watermelon festival, I'm just standing back watching. That's, I do that pretty good. I try to watch and I analyze stuff. And as. I was standing back and watching people. And J.B. was out there and he'd ask somebody if they'd like a, a bracelet. Well, you ask a kid. A the kid, they'll take anything for free. The kids were more than happy. But he'd ask, do you under, do you know the plan of salvation? Now, I'm not interested. they just walk away. They didn't want the bracelet. They didn't want the pamphlet. They didn't even want to talk about salvation. Or they'd say, yeah, I know the plan of salvation. And off they go. They still didn't want to hear your take on the plan of salvation. Well, that to me, that don't sound like the whole world is being transformed by the gospel message. So let's talk about 2023, similar to the days of Noah. What's, the, what's about the same? Well, first, there's a preoccupation with physical appetites. Everyone is always looking for new ways to please the flesh, aren't they? Whether it's what, their diet. Too much food, not enough food. Or various other ways that they want to please their physical appetites. You know, disregard for the sanctity of marriage. It is viewed as disposable or unnecessary, single-parenting, homosexuality-running rampant. It breaks my heart at so many times when people say, How long have you and Leonie been married? And I say, 45 years. Really? crazy It's like people can't rejoice with me to be married to the same woman for 45 years. Well, how did you put up with her that long? Well, maybe you should ask how she put up with me that long. When I people when I tell people 45 years, I want that. I don't know. Maybe I'm asking for too much. I want at least a way to go. That's awesome. Play the brass band or something. I get excited when people say they've been married five years. I think they're doing something in today's society. What about the widespread violence? Did you know that our prisons today hold living, convicted killers of more than 100,000 Americans? Did you know that more than 15,000 Americans are killed each year by drunk drivers? Did you know that more than 4,000 Americans are killed each year by illegal aliens? And we don't want to do anything with our borders. <coughs> Did you know that more that we are a violent nation in the world that is filled with violence? We have preoccupation with physical appetites. We have disregard for sanctity of marriage. We have widespread violence. We have rampant, illicit sex. Man continues to find new ways to express their perversion. It's all over TV, the internet, now on public display, on college campuses and beaches, and amusement parks. Every street corner, it seems, it all begins in the wicked imagination and thoughts of man's own mind. And the similarities between the pre-flood world and 2023 are astounding. The Bible says that men shall get worse and worse, not get better. We are spiritually in downward, not evolving upward. Evolution has us getting better. Sin tells us we're getting worse. We're going downhill fast. Paul, Peter, and Jude all speak of the falling away of many before Christ returns. Men will not endure sound doctrine. They will turn away their ears from the truth and turn to fables. Is that today or what? The previous parables. I talked about the sower of the seed of the four soils. There 25% was good. 25% out of the four soils that left, 75% died. Now, the wheat and the weeds, what was that? That was 50%. So when you start doing the math, you realize this. That's 50% of the 25 percent, in other words, 12 and a half percent of the church is going to make it to heaven. Now, there they're thinking, okay, well, if we did the math, oh, uh, there's 20 some people here today. 12 that only leaves about wow, that only leaves about four people, five people, six people. But understand, that's not quite what it means. The point is, the scriptures teach that only a remnant will be saved. Remnant is a tiny little piece of the whole. So when we realize the remnant will be saved, when you realize the the size of the church, we have to ask ourselves, we're not talking about all the churches in America. We're talking about the Lord's church, the true church. In other words, everybody's not going to make it to heaven out there who claims to be a Christian. they got to be following this. they got to be part of the remnant. And that's why I've talked to you before. If you're following what this says, you've been baptized into Christ, you follow followed the plan of salvation, and you're following your everyday trying to do your very best to follow what God tells you to do. You don't have to worry whether you're going to make it. You're going to make it. We have God's promise on that. But what I said earlier is that people in those final days, they're going to turn away. They're going to turn away from God. Those people are not going to make it. They're going to turn away because they no longer have anything to do with God. They don't want God in their life. And that's why I said we need to see it to the end. We need to be faithful to the Word of God to the end. Oh sure, we may make mistakes. We're going to sin. We're not perfect. But it's how we handle that sin. We ask God's forgiveness and we keep moving on trying to do our very best each day. You see, here's an even better reason to reject the common first glance interpretation of this leaven being a good thing. Every other place in the Bible in which leaven is used symbolically it represents that which is evil. The word leaven is used 17 times in the New Testament. They're always used to represent evil, except this parable. And that should make one wonder. Here's some references. Luke 12, verse 1, symbolizes hypocrisy. Matthew 16 symbolizes false doctrine. Matthew 22 symbolizes worldliness. 1 Corinthians 5 symbolizes evil conduct. Galatians 5 symbolizes legalism. That's all talking about leaven. If leaven is suddenly good in our text, then it is not consistent with the rest of the scripture. So, what is the interpretation of the meal, the woman, and the leaven? What's this? The meal represents communion in the worship. And we might think, oh, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? It is, except when it's not a good thing. You see, if you were a Jew in those days and heard this parable, you would have caught the phrase three measures of meal. It was a common purchase. When you hear that some woman was has hid leaven in the meal, you'd say, what a dirty trick! What an abominable woman! Why? Because the key is the three measures of meal. That's what you'd take to the temple as an act of worship. The Old Testament book of Leviticus speaks of the meal offering, which was typically made up of three measures of meal. And they would grind up the meal very fine, then add oil and frankincense and bake a cake. They would take it to the priest in the temple where the fire of God would consume it, and it was the meal offering. So, the finely ground meal represents the even, sinless character of the Lord Jesus. No lumps or inconsistencies. What do you think then that the oil would represent? The oil represents the Holy Spirit. And the frankincense represents the sweet savor of his holy life. And the fire stands for his sufferings on the cross. Now, there were two things you were not allowed to put in the meal as a Jew. You know what those two things were? Honey or leaven. No honey because that represented natural sweetness. And Jesus' sweetness was supernatural. Divine, not of this world. In other words, he was not just a good person, but the Son of God. And no leaven because it always is a picture of sin in the Bible. And our Lord was sinless. And it says in Leviticus 2.11 No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall not offer up in smoke any leaven or any honey as an offering by the fire of the Lord. And when a Jew heard Jesus say that a woman bought uh, bought three measures of flour or meal and hid leaven in it, he immediately knew it was an act of sabotage and abomination. And the meal represents communion with God in worship. And if we use the law of first mention, Which says we should go to the first time this concept is mentioned. And there will be fine keys and clues to understand it. We would go to the first time in scripture. That we find three measures of meal. And that's in Genesis 18. Where three heavenly visitors appear to Abraham. Who quickly told his wife Sarah to get three measures of meal. Bake cakes on the hearth. Bring them to our divine guests. It's all about worship and communion with God. And if it's done wrong. Then it was ruining the worship. Number two was the woman. What about the woman? No offense, ladies, but this is confusion in worship. Confusion. Who or what are we to understand by the figure of the woman in the parable? Is she only incidental or is she essential to the parable? You see, the majority of expositors seem to neglect her presence in part. Perhaps they feel that her inclusion was natural because... As sowing seed is a field uh, in the field of is for a man's work, so bread making at home is a woman's work. But there's far more to what the woman does in the parable, as Jesus, in uttering it, turned from the agricultural realm to the domestic. Symbolically speaking, the Bible uses the figure of a woman in three fold way first as a kingdom, two as a city, and number three as the church. So, no offense to women, but it appears she stands. For confusion in worship. You see, first of all, the Bible also uses a woman to describe something being wrong religiously. From Old Testament to Revelation, it is so. Again, not politically correct, but God's point, God's point is being clear. Another reason in Matthew thirteen thirty it is done deliberately. You see, it was no accident. It was done with malice and premeditation. You read the words there. She took... Leaven and put it there on purpose. Says she hid it. And that's the devil's goal. To poison true worship and taint the hearts of believers. And contaminate the church of Christ. He uses formalism, ritualism in many churches. He uses liberalism and many other weapons to inject poison into true worship. Including the tool of distraction. And many churches simply don't have their eye on the ball. And are being led more by our society than by the scripture. And we need to worship in spirit and in truth. And that means we must be on our guard for what the devil will try to sneak in on us. The woman in our text not only did what she did deliberately, the word took, but she also did it deceptively. She hid it. She didn't put it in, she hid it in. Yet another good reason to reject with the leaven is the gospel. We don't sneak the gospel in, as many churches are trying to do. No, we are upfront with the gospel. The truth shall set men free. We don't try to trick people into getting saved. Jesus always encouraged people, count the cost of following him. New evangelicalism is saying we need to entertain, water down our message slip in truth on them somewhere along the way after they are hooked. But we aren't to hide the gospel, we're to preach it. I've shared with some of you before, soon after I took this position as your preacher, and I'm standing up here preaching for the first few weeks, I had a few people come to me afterwards and say, Brother, we, uh, we really think you need to tone it down a little bit. All this talk about baptism and everything. I said, Really? I said, Well, i would say this to you. It's not going to happen. So either tell me now that you want to get a different preacher or just get ready for it. Because I'm not going to stop toning it down. Really? To me, that's water down the gospel. So lots of people will come and enjoy themselves. It'll be a happy time. Don't ever preach about sin, preacher. Don't preach about baptism. Preach about love. Harmony, peace, joy. And then we can all leave every week uh, feeling good sinners. Amen. Well, I've told you, I'm still here. I haven't been fired yet. Maybe one day there'll be enough people to say, brother, if you don't tone it down, there's the door. I'll say, I don't think you have to wait. I'm on my way out right now. Someone said, our job is not to make the gospel appealing but to make the gospel available. And then, the third part of the bad part of the leaven lump is this. It's the leaven itself. It's corruption in the worship. You see, the leaven stands for corruption. Matthew 16 shows us three types of leaven to avoid as the church. And the leaven of the Pharisees, which is legalism. It's legalism. You see, the disciples thought he was talking about bread. In Matthew 16, But he was talking about doctrine. That was the legalism. They arranged their faith into a list of do's and don'ts. They made a critical mistake of outwardly conforming to the law, even though they had inward corruption. You remember, Jesus said, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And they thought, the disciples said, Well, it's because we didn't bring any bread. He said, No, it has to do with their legalism. They made life miserable for people. And went around like pious police checking up on everyone. For example, the Old Testament spoke of being ceremonially clean before partaking of food. The Pharisees took that and embellished it to a ridiculous degree. They said, you have to wash your hands with half an eggshell of water poured over the fingers so that it would drip down off the elbows so many times. And if you didn't do it exactly as they described, then you weren't ceremonially clean. You know, they would make these laws for everybody else and they would just keep embellishing them. But then they themselves wouldn't do it. That's called legalism. Now I'm sorry to say the level of the Pharisees is still around today. People say, oh, I'm spiritual because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't kiss girls that do. And you can come to church three times a week and be as carnal as an old goat. And the true spirituality doesn't work its way from the outside in. But from the inside out. Some of God's creatures have an exoskeleton. Unlike humans who have an endoskeleton. Lobster Christians have been injected with the leaven of the Pharisees. They have their convictions on the outside. But they are cold, unkind, unloving and will pinch you with their list of rules. That's what legalism is. Then there was the leaven of the Sadducees. 11 of the Sadducees, which is just the opposite of the Pharisees. The Pharisees added to the Word of God a list of over 600 rules. The Sadducees, they took away from it. It's like the Pharisees were the, for lack of a better word, the conservatives, the Republicans of the day, and the Sadducees were like the Democrats, the liberals of the day. You see, they, uh, they didn't believe in all kinds of stuff. Acts 23.8 says, For the Sadducees said that there's no resurrection nor angels, nor spirits, but the Pharisee acknowledged them all. The Pharisee said, yeah, there's a resurrection, there's a spirit, there are angels. And the Sadducees said, oh no, they're not. We need to beware, and may we always stand, for the fundamentals of the faith. Today it's hell and literal fire that are under attack. Or the virgin birth. Or was Jesus a phony? Or was the entire Bible inspired? You see, may we never be guilty of allegorizing the miracles of the Bible or the return of Christ or the end of the world. In other words, they're not just things that are made up. Not nice little stories. So pray that we never give in to the temptation to trim the message. And then what about the leaven of materialism? And he, Mark 8.15 says that he was giving orders to them saying, Watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And what he was talking about there is the lifestyle of the wealthy and the material possessions. Don't think all wealthy people are millionaires and billionaires. There's people out there with about as much money as we have. And they are stuck to their materialism. Their materialism is what governs them instead of them governing their material blessings. If God has blessed you materially, enjoy it in the right balance. God has given us richly all things to enjoy, but true spirituality recognizes the best riches God has given to them is not money and material things, but true riches that moth and rust can't destroy. You see, legalism and liberalism and materialism, the woman hid the leaven and eventually it permeated off three measures of the dough. Two sides of the leaven lump. One side sounds good and bright and delightful. The other side sounds cold and conniving and deceitful. Both are there for a very good reason. Because it was for everybody. It wasn't just for the The people who wanted to hear the good side of the kingdom. What about the people like the Pharisees and Sadducees who wanted nothing to do with the kingdom? To me, if you just stick with the good side, it sounds like as long as I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to make it. Never killed anybody. I'm going to make it. None. Not if we take both sides of this leaven. Understand the bad side, too. Jesus, there's a lot of bad in the world. You see, you still have to follow God's plan. As I explained in Sunday school this morning, God didn't make it hard. He didn't make it hard to get to heaven. as, far as accepting the plan of salvation. I said this morning, you know, you... you Listen in Mark 16, 16, where it says, If you believe and are baptized, you shall be saved. But if you don't believe, you'll be condemned. And people want to say, But it doesn't say if you don't believe and are not baptized. And I say to that, why does it have to? If you don't believe, then why would you ever be baptized? God said believe and be baptized. It's that simple. But if God said climb Mount Everest and come back down and do 20 push-ups, maybe run around there for a mile or two, then you'll make it to heaven, how many people would want to do it? Because it's hard! But God made it easy. Believe. Starts with believe. Allowing your belief to accept the faith of what the Bible says, even though you may not understand it. Faith leads you to repent. Turn away from your sinful life. That's what's separating you from God today. Your faith leads you to confess. Just speak. That Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of the living God. And then be immersed. Plunged in the water to be raised up. The sins are washed away. You're filled with God's Holy Spirit. And then the hard part starts. Being faithful. But God didn't say it was impossible. The key to me is this. God doesn't call wimps. To be Christians. He doesn't want wimpy Christians. He wants people who care. And want to do it his way. It's that simple.